Union Jack, the home of great British comedy. Fiddle your knob and find Union Jack on DAB Radio, online, on the app, and on that Alexa woman. Nice and close to the mic. Oh, yes. And it'll sound lovely. Warm. Thank you. Warmth is my currency. It never sounds that warm with me. It sounds adenoidal. Yep, yep. Well, that's that's your trademark. Yes. (laughs) Whiny. Whiny is my trademark. (laughs) Whiny Lloyd. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On digital radio across the UK, on the Union Jack app, and on that Alexa lady, this is Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Hello, good morning, evening, afternoon, delete as applicable, uh, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to Hometown Glory, a show where well-known faces take me wandering around the streets they grew up on using Google Maps. And you can, of course, catch up on old interviews with people such as Anne Hegarty, Peter Shilton and Phil Jupitus in the very same place that you're listening to this. But for now, we're traipsing down memory lane with broadcaster, writer and star of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Ian Lee. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Ian, where where do you sit in the list of famous sons and daughters of Slough? <laughs> who who is above you and who is below well, you? The, obviously, Ricky Gervais is perceived as the f- most famous person from Slough, but he's not from Slough. He's from Reading, which is a little bit further up the and, M4. Am I right in thinking he'd never even been to Slough? I don't think so. I certainly never saw him there. What was the <laughs> name of um, uh, uh, his the paper company he worked for? Because there is now. I, wanna, I can only remember the American one, which is like Dunder Mifflin or something. I've isn't never it? seen the American yeah, yeah. one. It's supposed to be. Is it good? It's, it's schmaltzy. Yeah, you know, I like um, schmaltz. You like a bit of schmaltz. I like a good wheat, but schmaltz. Um, but there's there is a bar named after. Uh, just listen straight away. The first thing we're talking about: David flipping bread and Slough. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, Slough. Um, I don't know who else comes from Slough. Thousand Yard Stare, right? The band, it's a sort of shoegazery, shoegazery yes. kind of also rands that um, I see have reformed. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, Thousand Yard Stare were great for. Were they were sort of just a little bit before I was going to see live bands in pubs in Slough in, in Windsor. You know, the um, the Wheat Sheaf in Slough was the place to go. And um, what was it called? The Old Trout, the Windsor Old Trout. Um, but the great thing about Thousand Yard Stare was. They escaped from Slough by, in, you know, by showbiz. You know, they kind of had a had a name, and they were quite inspiring because no one escaped from Slough. Everyone went and worked in the Mars factory or on the trading estate, or you know, all of these great places. I'm not knocking people that do work there, of course not. But for me, who wanted to do something a little bit more creative, seeing Thousand Yard Stare, you know, they got out. They got out, and they got out by doing something artistic and creative. So I don't know who else. Who, I don't know who else comes from Slough. Tracy Ullman comes from Slough. No. Yes. Does she? Yeah. 
You see, I think oh. I think it says a lot about your stability as a as a person, your self assuredness. That I, I'm constantly monitoring the Wikipedia page of people from Macclesfield, <laughs> and and then I really hate it if somebody goes on a reality TV show and then yeah. all of a sudden they get bumped up above me on that list. Well, I kind of I used to pretend that I didn't come from Slough. I used to pretend I came from Windsor. So you had Slough shame. Yeah, I did have Slough shame, and and I'm now I'm ashamed of the slough shame that I had. You know, of course I should have been proud. Um, but I used to pretend that I came from Windsor and I ended up living in Windsor actually for a few years and then uh, was getting divorced. So then I ended up moving back. I ended up moving back to slough, renting a flat, I guess you could call it a flat. <laughs> was it a bed sitter? It was a bed sitter, yeah. Bed sitting room. And um, But it was literally a six minute walk from the house that I grew up in. You know, I spent the first 11 years of my life in. So, I've, so no, I like slough. Now, I spent quite but, a lot of time. But let's, let's talk about that house. Yes, uh, we we don't have to broadcast the address, but 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 where was it? I could, well, I can. Uh, the it was Monksfield Way on okay. Sla- in Slough on the Britwell Estate. And what sort of house is it? It's uh, it was this tiny little terraced council house, and I know it's tiny because a couple of years ago I went back there. I went and because my sister was emigrating to New Zealand, and. Um, I thought, oh, it would be nice. I was getting quite nostalgic. And so I, I, I wrote a letter to this, this this house, people that live there. I said, look, I used to live there. Um, I've been on the telly, you know, because otherwise you could sound like a weirdo. You've got to kind of do that. You may have seen me in yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Um, and I was just wondering. Um, oh, look, look, look. It's there's, appeared on the screen there's in my front house. of us. Go, go left. Go left. There we go. There's my house there. There, stop. That okay. one there. I used to sp- spin there. My dad put that driveway in. So like a 1930s council house, front yeah. yard. Yep. And um, and the, the lady that lived there very kindly invited me and my sister to go round one evening. And we spent an hour in our old house. Did you like what she'd done with the place? I thought she'd done it, done it very, very nicely. Because right. my dad... Um, my dad was a thief, and he everything we had was hooky in our house. And he had obviously got a load of... Um, do you remember Tongue and Groove? Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. wood panelling. Yes. He'd got a load of Tongue and Groove in when I was about five. So you felt like you were living in a cabin. Very much so. Yes. Very much so. Everything was covered in this Tongue and Groove. I think there may have even been a ceiling in one of the rooms that had Tongue and Groove on. It's a horrible phrase, isn't it? Tongue and Groove. <laughs> it's awful. It does sound very... It sounds like some, um, some kind of 80s adult movie. Movie. It's a tongue and groove too. This time they're serious, um, and um, it was it was it was surprisingly moving going back to this house because my dad had died by this point. My mum is very ill, um, and my sister was emigrating. She came back. It didn't work. That'll learn her to try and be independent. Um, and look, that was my bedroom there. Isn't that funny? So you're you're above the front door. I was. Oh, above, I was. Uh, oh no, that was sorry. That hang on a minute. Because that's that house. Yeah, I was above yeah. the front door. That was mum and dad's room. That was my bedroom. Is your sister there. older or younger? She's. Oh look at that. Go zoom in. She's um, three years older than me. So she had a better bedroom than you did. Of course she did. Yeah, she had the bigger bedroom. Um, and what was really nice was this. It was a young mum that lives there now, and her son, who now lives in my room, and I guess he's six or seven. He showed me around. My old room, and it was it was trippy. It was very psychedelic having this this seven year old boy showing me what was my room when I was a seven year old boy, and we were yeah. chatting about the room and chatting about the shape, and um, my bed could fit against one wall. And sometimes I fancied a difference, I'd move it against the other wall. And what I'd, was your bedspread? Oh, t- well, do you know? I don't think it was anything particularly comical. I talked about this the other day around about the age of six because we up until then we'd had 
sheets and blankets and you get tucked in, you know, to the point where you can't breathe. And when we were about six, we got what were then called continental, continental quilts. Continental quilts. Like, like, continental it's so quilts. exotic. Wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. continental quilts. And none of us could, none of our, every morning we'd wake up with them on the floor because it was, uh, it was so alien to our bodies yeah. that we didn't know how to keep them on us. So, um, yeah, it, it, and of course it's a cliche, but everything in there was tiny. You go and look at it and go, how did I fit in this? Mm. You know, but it was um, it was lovely. She was a very nice lady, very nice boy, and we could see where my, you know, my dad had done a lot of work right by by the front door, just about a foot forward and down, are time capsules buried in the tarmac. Seriously, yeah, time capsules buried by me and my sister. Can you in, remember what is in the time capsules? There are some marbles. There are some very rare coins. I don't know if marbles are very representative <laughs> of the late 70s or early 80s. Well, you wait. When they dig that up, they'll be going, what is this? There were, and I say rare coins, it was like some tuppences, some halfpennies, right. which of course you don't get anymore, so no. they've got to be worth a lot of money. And an, I, I remember we wrote a note each, and they're in Golden Virginia tins, of course, um, and we wrote notes. And do you know what you wrote in the note? To the, to the people of the future, people of the year 2000. I will be famous for the 11 <laughs> o'clock show. No, I don't, the year 2000, and that's it. I don't know, I don't know, some some kind of nonsense. I'd love to, um, one night, go back and dig up their, their driveway. Yeah. And just have, and get I, I think even though you've been on the telly and are on the telly, I think she would be less accommodating than she was at <laughs> just letting you have a look around. If she opened the curtains one night to see you with a shovel. I remember I remember one, one morning, right up by the window, when we had the driveway put in, my mum found a can of lager. And um, someone just left like a full can, unopened can of lager. And she was very worried. She said, oh, I'm going to give it to your granddad, but I'm worried someone's injected it with LSD. Which now thinking back doesn't make sense because the beer would have come out. Yeah, she said. So we're going to give it to your granddad, but he he may act start acting a little bit weird. He, I don't think he did. Well, he did act a bit weird after that, but I don't think that was a direct result of his um, ingesting LSD <laughs> laced can of lager. Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio. What did uh, did both your parents work? What did they do for a living? My dad worked at the BBC. He worked in the props department at the BBC. So we would quite often go and play in the props department of the BBC. We'd go and we'd go and see all of the the um, play school toys in their cage. They lived in a cage. So you couldn't touch Humpty. Yeah, or- yeah, we touched him. Touched Humpty. Hamble. Hamble. No, <laughs> not interested. No, no one was interested. Yeah, in Hamble. Yeah. But we got to play in the TARDIS. A lot. The actual blue box. And then I remember once we, we the console was out. But just around the corner from um, that house, there was this, this, there's houses there now. They've built on it. But there were some lock-up garages. And one day, again, I was, I was about five, and I've got a picture of it. It's such a cool picture. When I was about five, my dad said to me and my sister, right, you need to come round to the garage. I've got something to show you. Oh, all right, fine. And normally, the, the last time he did that, it was a Betamax video recorder that was stolen, of course. And we went round there, and he brought a Dalek home. He'd nicked a Dalek. <laughs> it was the coolest thing, man. We opened it, and there's a Dalek. And me and my sister, of course, you know, panicked a little bit. Um, but we spent the afternoon being pushed around the council estate inside a Dalek. It was the, it was wonderful. I've got a great picture of me did, looking all cocky. And, and did that increase your status in the neighbourhood, or did, did it actually make you? Oh, we. I used to get beaten up for being posh. Right. Yeah, we got. We I got picked because on. your dad had a, a job at the BBC. Because he had a Dalek, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. My mum. We. Uh, I don't know why. I think because we spoke proper. That was it. But there were some hard kids that used to live in the cul-de-sac just around there, mm. and um, 
there was one called Dean, and Dean was would would, would was quite vicious and would uh, would beat us up for being posh. I don't think I was posh. Did you ever have these periods with the hard kids where all of a sudden they liked you briefly and maybe even you went round for tea and then oh like, God, out no. of nowhere the bullying would start again? No, no, right. they never, they never took, they never took to me. Um, no, I was, I was bullied quite mercilessly there. But then further up this way towards my school was up here, Claycott's school. This is your primary school. This is the primary and the Clay- middle school. We, we never had, a, had middle schools. You, this is the thing. I thought everybody had middle schools. So we had the primary school, which was up to, I guess, seven. Mm. And then we moved up next door to the mi- middle school, juniors. Was it we called juniors? Yeah. Is it, is it, am I speaking a foreign language? So, so we, at the same school, we would have infants and then juniors, but it all be the same thing. This but Clay, a, Clay Cuts was one place and the middle school was another. It was Well, they were next door to each other, but yes, yeah, they were separate buildings they were definitely separate that's it now i don't recognize that building. we're looking at clay cuts but it seems to have been raised to the ground that, and i've no replaced idea by a modern is. monstrosity it's disgusting and shameful <laughs> what they've done to it um so uh but also over behind our house and just to the right of the school and it is still there because I, I, I went there recently it was a big old playing field i don't think they've built on it now there was a big old playing field and we used to i used to go into the to the middle school when i was i'd get dropped off i'd walk there on my own and then I would, me and Colin Nelson would take our girlfriends. This is at the age of nine and ten. Oh, so you you were a lot cooler than I thought. If you were no. having a girlfriend at the age of nine. Well, this is the thing, right? You're suave. You're a suave <laughs> child. <laughs> but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was terrible. So we would take our girlfriends. I can't remember who he was going out with. But I was going out with Sonia Martin. And we would, um, then we'd go to that playground there and we'd sit under the slide and Colin and his girlfriend would like snog. And I would just be sat there frozen with fear, going, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't how, how would Sonia take this? She, you know, she took it very well. I mean, I think. Relieved? No, I think, um, no, no one was relieved. That was the point. I think she took it quite well. I mean, we only went out for like two or three weeks, I guess. Um, and we never actually went out. We just, sometimes we would hold hands at school. But no, I wasn't. Mark Dunstall was the guy that, I remember Mark Dunstall when we were in like the third year of middle school, so we're nine or ten. And he went, Oi, Ian, look at this. And I looked round and he was with a girl and then they just started snogging in front of me. I was like, whoa, this is insane. Mm. I don't know. I, don't, I can't compute. I didn't kiss a girl till I was 15. I was very shy. And then I didn't kiss another girl for two years. And then it was the same girl that I kissed And, and when 15. you were 17 and you, you were waiting yeah. to kiss this girl again, were you still sitting under the slide at that stage? <laughs> no, did, the, 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 well, the first time I kissed Kerry was at the, uh, on the steps of Slough Bus Station. Had you been planning it? We went out on a date. She, we went out on a date and uh, with a couple of others, uh, Nicola and I, I can't remember who she was going out with, but I bought new trousers. And the, they, the date was to the bus station. The date was into Slough for a lovely meal, probably uh, Pizza Land. Mm-hmm. And I had new trousers on and they still had a label on, so that was embarrassing. And then we sat at the, then me and Kerry sat on the bus station steps and, you know, she was, she was a little bit more experienced than me. And um, we had our first ever snog, my, my first ever snog. Wow, it was great. And then two years later, it was with her again. It was at a party and booze was now involved. And uh, and Kerry for old time's sake. Uh, well, then we went out. With, I was obsessed with Kerry. I mean, I was, I was. We, we 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 need to press pause on this because I want I want to come back. I want to come on press to your pause. teenage. Yeah, okay, fine. Yes, yes. jumping um, ahead. Uh, you you 
something we found doing this is people who were born before the 70s, teachers were just terrifying and people who hated yeah. children. And people who were born oh. after the 70s, teachers were kind of touchy-feely, nice people. Yeah. But but it's it's a real grey area for people of our generation. Yeah. Were the teachers terrifying or not? It was a mixture. 73 I was born, so yeah, it was, it was a mixture. There were still some of those old school... Um, you know, I, I mean, I got the slipper. I, mean, I got the slipper a couple of times at school. So there was still. I think we must have just been right on the cusp of that because when I tell people slightly younger that there were yeah. canes and slippers and, and rulers yeah. being used as weaponry against children, they don't believe me. But no. it, it, it's sort of gone by the age of maybe 10 or 11 or well, something. Well, very disappointingly, the teacher that slipped me was a good teacher, actually. He was a really, really good teacher. He used to. Um, he used to look like sort of John. He had sort of John Lennon glasses, and he was a songwriter. This was in the f- fourth year of middle school, so I was, I was eleven, and he was a songwriter. And so we, you know, he would bring, he would come in with a guitar instead of teaching us, you know, the kind of I don't know kumbaya or whatever the kind of songs were that you would learn at school. He would teach us these kind of angst-ridden songs that he'd written about Mr. Normal living a suburban life, that kind it's of a nowhere version of Nowhere yeah, Man. Yeah, 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 it was that. And, and we'd learned these. And it's only recently I thought, I think it, those were his songs. Um, I remember, I can't remember the guy's name, which is probably for the best, but I remember being upstairs in Claycots and this old teacher was coming up the stairs. Oh, I, I, I was it. And I remember turning around going, quick, Wiggy's coming. His name was Wiggington or something like that. Quick, Wiggy's coming. And he raced up the stairs, right, who called me Wiggy? Was it you? And he grabbed a boy. Was it you, boy? No, sir. And he slapped his ass. Was it you, boy? No. And he sla- he grabbed me. Was it you? No. And he slapped me. Really, just slapping kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we called him Wiggy. Yeah. And there's so a, and so. But there would, there would always be these rumours that went round about how to enrage particular teachers. Oh. Somebody's older brother or sister had been taught by yeah. them. It's like, oh, if you call him Wiggy, he, he'll go into some kind of thromby. There were the thr- thromby. thromby. <laughs> <laughs> it was a thrombo where we were from. Yeah. But yes, the, 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 the thing was the same. There were always rumours as well about teachers sleeping with other teachers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, you know, such and such is going out with such and such. And I remember once, talk about Mrs. Hammond, who was a delightful teacher. Everyone wanted her. She was the third year at middle school, and we only had her for a term before she left. And she's... uh, I've tried to find her online, but I I can't find her. I can't find any reference to her. But she was like kind of a cool... I mean, we thought she was really old. She's probably about 25, 26. Very funky teacher. I remember her driving me and two of my friends to like a football game or something. But she had a sports car, like a red sports car with no seats in the back. So one of us sat in the passenger seat, the front passenger seat, and the other two just just hid in the footwell <laughs> of the passenger seat, all, hi, hiding so that we couldn't be seen. And mm. she drove us, I think it was a TR7 maybe, something like that, to a to a football event. Couldn't but, do it now. But Mrs Hammond is the one, I'd, I'd, I'd like to go and have a coffee with Mrs Hammond if uh, she's still around. Have you ever put out an appeal? I'm doing it now, Jeff. This okay, is it. This is it. If Mrs. anyone Hammond. knows Mrs Hammond... Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Were you indoorsy or outdoorsy? Um, a bit of both. We had a Dragon 32 computer, so there was a lot of indoorsy stuff, but uh, yeah, also out on my bike and um, climbing stuff and dens and things like... Where was your den? The den was... Um, I'll tell you exactly where it was. So we're looking at the field behind my 
uh, behind my house and there was just a hole in the bushes right. by a church and so we used to hide in there and one day we found, me and Kevin Trotman found like a like a motorbike engine or something and we had great plans to uh, <laughs> to build an electri- electric go-kart. Of course we never did. Yeah, yeah. didn't know what to do but it was just a motorbike engine. But you there. dragged it into the hole in the bushes. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, well, this is our, our project. <laughs> so we used to go there quite a lot and just hang out. That was our den, really. We didn't do anything very exciting. We had, you know, we had um, we made homemade wallets that had top secret written on the front, of course, because mm-hmm. that will stop anybody from uh, having a look. And then I remember Kevin Trotman left. He moved um, when I was about eight, and I was heartbroken. I remember him saying goodbye to me and Paul Francis, and it was just the saddest. Do you want to put out an appeal for him too? No, nah, I'm not that bothered. Right. I, I'm, I'm worried these people are going to start catfishing you. <laughs> that people are going to hear it and assume these. I'm, hello, this is Kevin Trotman. I married Mrs. Hammond. Could you send us £1,000 <laughs> so that we can come and visit you, please? What What consumed you? What, what interested you? Video games. It was video games from a very early age. And these must have been very... So the yeah. first time I remember there being video games, really, we had that TV game with Pong on it. Oh yeah, but, the Binetone, yeah. But then, sort of like ZX eighty one. We ne- I never got a Spectrum. We had uh, a Dragon thirty two, which is not a great computer. But here's the thing: it was. I mean, my dad bringing it home from work. I think it was stolen. I don't know if you can detect a theme here. <laughs> um, and him plugging into the television, and suddenly, you could type things, and they would come up on the screen. Now it sounds like such a, a, an obvious thing. But we'd never had that. You'd never the Benetton's to a certain extent. But you'd never had a thing that you could, you could, you were in control of what was on the television. You know, we had three channels, and they told us what to watch, and we had to obey. So having this thing where you could type stuff in, and I became quite geeky. So I would, I would play games, and they were, you know, they were rubbish, but they were everything to me. But I also learned how to program in BASIC. And when I was, um, gosh, when I was eight or nine. That was when my mum, we'd go into Slough High Street for a Saturday shopping and she would leave me in boots. WH Smith sometimes, if boots was full, she'd leave me in boots at the computer department while she went out and did her shopping for two or three hours. And I would write computer programs and quizzes. So geeky, man. Because other people were going into boots and just writing yeah. rude things about their mates on the screen. 10 print, you yeah. know, Jeff is an idiot. Go to. 20, go yeah. to 10. Yeah. But I would go and write quizzes and it would go, and it would say, what is your name? And you type in your name. That then becomes an A string. And you say, print, you can go, oh, hello, Jeff. Nice to see you. Would you like to play a quiz? Yes. Okay, fine. Then it would just be loads of questions and stuff. What a sad pathetic you were keeping the people of Slough entertained on a Saturday afternoon I I was and also if I'd have carried on doing that I'd be a multi-millionaire games designer unfortunately you went the other way you you saw that you could control what went onto the television this lit in you an ambition to become an auto queue operator that didn't work out (laughs) and you you ended up on the television yeah but so computer games were the thing I was quite I mean I had friends as a kid but I mean maybe everyone feels like this but I, I felt like like an out, like I was outside of the circle, whatever that means. But I wonder if everyone felt outside. I don't know. I think it's just people like us, geniuses. I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. Artistic geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> I just think to some people it doesn't occur to them they were just on the inside of the really? circle, really, and they just think, oh, what about those weird kids who weren't in the circle? Yeah, but I think if you were to speak to anybody that I went to school with, I think they would say I, I, I was on the inside. You know, to them it perceived I was on the inside, but I felt. Maybe it's retrospective. I don't know, but I'm sure I felt... I was always planning to run away from home and go to drama school. That was the thing. Me and my friend Fiona King, 
And this is absolutely true. This is not a gag. Fiona King, me and her used to learn the cello together. We had cello lessons. What grade did you get up to? I never did the exams. I would have been about a grade six or seven. So if to I was teacher. to bring a cello in here, oh, if I'd have brought a cello, you could have... Yeah, I could have... I could have regale, was regale the right word? I would regale you with a cello tune. Yeah. Um, uh, but I never took the exam because I was always too scared to go for the exam. My lovely teacher was German, Mr. Bertems. How do you think that's manifested itself in uh, your adult life? This is why I've never... I'm a failure because I just can't... <laughs> <laughs> don't want to challenge myself but so we learnt the cello and I got quite good at it I mean I couldn't play it now I had lessons again about before just as we were having our first son so about 10 years ago 10 or 9 years ago I started having lessons again flipping it was hard it's a hard also nobody wants to see you playing the cello because occasionally a band will employ the services of a cellist and they're always very attractive ladies well I, I were you saying I'm not an attractive lady? I am saying, saying I'm confident in saying you're not an attractive they are, lady. It's, but it's the se- do you not think the cello is the sexiest of all instruments? It's the sexiest. Explain that to me. The the tombra. Oh, he's got a cello. There, there is a cello. Flip it, it. Look at Bring that. it in. Bring it in. Oh, shit. Now it's going to turn out that this was just a lie. Of course I can't play the cello now. Let's, uh, there we go. Let's Alistair, uh, this is Alistair from next door. He said, I've got a cello. Let's have it. This let's, is, let's, um, where do we even open the case? Right, let's open this cello. I'll let's let do this. Yeah. You're opening the case like a pro? Look at this. Where's, uh, where's the long hairy stick? That, uh, the bow, I think they call it. So, do, do you need to angle yourself towards me because I'm guessing that you need to you, you sort of this stra- not, you straddle the cello, this right? Not going to happen. Yeah, you straddle it. I show you. I'm going to I'm going to turn the chair around. Hang on a second. I don't want to bash it. Don't you look at it. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. Honestly, I won't be able to play this at all. Of course not. Um, but don't you think it's sexy? Look at that. Let's see. Grip it between. Grip it between the knees. Is it in tune? It's not really in tune. I don't know what that should be. I can't remember what the tuning is. So it's all you know. It's all. Um, I can't really play, but it's you know it's that's how you hold the bow. Yeah, you look. You mean you look convincing? There's not much room in here, guys. Um, I don't want to hit you. There you go. That's. It's like the slow yo-yo ma. I want to get this now. Forget the rest of the. Yeah, yeah. This is it. They need some rosin on the bow. I can't do it, but that's you, you get the vibe. Were you a fan of the TV series Fame? There was a cellist in that. That would have been your era. Yeah, she was. She um, Laurie Singer. Laurie Singer, also in Footloose. No, she wasn't. The one in Fame was. She wasn't the the one for me. It was um, the girl that sang uh, High Fidelity. Oh, Doris. Doris. Coco was the one for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, if we ever meet up with the kids from Fame, then we're, we're sorted. <laughs> I mean, the Dor- cellist would feel left out. <laughs> Dor- Doris was the one one for me. That mm. was... Uh, t- could you do me a favour? When you edit this together, could you, like, put in some really wicked cello yeah, playing? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that it sounds like I knew what I was... Uh, Bach's variations in yes. see whatever or other. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Hello, you. Did you know Union Jack had a one-night stand last week? Here is how it sounded. We don't know how good Jesus was as a carpenter, but what I would say is, I'd be sceptical of any tradesman that bangs on about forgiveness as much as Jesus did. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Like, if somebody came around your house to fix your boiler, and was like, before we do that, I just want to say, please remember, uh, we all make mistakes. (laughs) Union Jack's one-night stand. An evening of stand-up comedy. Live from the Jericho Comedy Club. Fancy another go? Thursday night from seven. Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio. 
Hey, we're both wearing brown cords. He said, feeling we, very uncomfortable we, and changing we, the we subject. We usually coordinate. But we do. Hey, yeah. coordinate. Um, so, un- there's nothing worse than an un- unintentional pun. <laughs> I don't want to be thought of as the kind of person who would make a pun. Even, yeah, even intentional puns are pretty, uh, pretty lame. Yeah, I know, but this is, you know, I think people ju- just have to deal with the, sh- you know, that's, yes. they, they, at least they can take responsibility yeah, for it. Exactly. The unintentional one, it just sends me into a spiral <laughs> thinking, oh no, he thinks I'm the type of person who would have made a pun about chords. Um, um, how big a part was music in your in your sort of youth? Um, here's the thing: my my boys now seven and nine, and they listen to pop music. You know, they listen to like the Beatles and the Monkeys. For me, they're big George Ezra fans at the moment, which is great. I can dig that. For me, when I was their age, I was listening to um, the Funky Gibbon. You know, I had I remember having a Goodies album and yep. listening to that. The first records I ever got, the first record I was given was uh, I got record player when I was five big old dance set and my mum gave me I'm a Believer by the Monkees and the Monkees first album without a cover it's just this old record and they were the first things I ever had and I used to listen to them obsessively so had your mum been sort of the big Monkees no the... she hated them she thought they were silly really hated Davy Jones really hated Davy Jones which I find quite peculiar um, no she got given them as a kid they were her records as a kid she was a Beatles fan and she got one Christmas she got these records and she didn't like them but then when I was five she went I've got these old records that you might like um and then of course the Monkees was on every summer holiday so I kind of became obsessed with the monkey, so music, music was, um, it was kind of. Although bizarrely, the first album that I really, really got into was again at the age of, I guess eight or nine. You could date it. And it was um, the Thompson Twins, "Into the Gap." Right. Which is a strange old album to get. What's what's on that? Like we are detectives. And... I don't think it is. It's got. It's, what, is the, what is the hit that's on there? Do you know? I can't remember. "Into the Gap" is a great song. Um, so music was 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 kind of a thing. It was, but it wasn't until I became a teenager that it was like music. Whoa, this is what we should all be doing. So you're a teenager. Do me maths here. So it's nineteen eighty six. Where do we go to buy a record in Slough? Our price. Our price in the Queensmere Shopping Centre, of course. Mm-hmm. That was the place to go, and they had it very. Someone recently sent me a picture of of the inside of that branch of Our Price, and God, the memories that came. I remember it being very orange in there. I think it was an orange carpet and orange walls. It was um, the, the 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 filing system was basically everything was filed under rock, pop, and disco. That was the the category, and it wasn't a very big shop, but that was the place to go for records. I don't think there were any other shops for years and years. No, so little Slough. record shops. No, there were not that I was aware of. No. I do I don't think there was. And then we got an HMV that I worked worked in, you know, years later, but um no, our price was the was the place to go. Got to get down to our price, you know. And uh I missed I miss our price. That was a that was a great that was a great record show. Yes, I do feel fondly towards that and Virgin Megastore and HMV, but I'm I'm not sure how great they were really compared to. Oh, you're saying that they were a little bit rubbish, and it's just my memory that's making them. Yes, seem yeah, like excellent. most things, yeah. most things from your youth. But there was nowhere else. There was nowhere else to go. I remember uh, the uh, oh the, the, the Smiths used to sell uh, the uh, Boots used to sell records. The first record I bought was in Boots. You want to know what it is? I, I'm curious, yeah. It's not very good. I, here's the thing. Whenever anyone says their first record was cool, they're lying. That was their second record. Mm. My first record that I bought was um, La Dolce Vita by Ryan Paris. Right. Which is, a, which is, is actually is a great song. I, can, I remember buying it because I'd heard it on a holiday, my first holiday abroad in Spain, and I bought it. 
And I was too embarrassed to tell my family I bought it, so I play it quite quietly so that they couldn't hear. But Ryan Paris is great. I think it's natural, because there were a lot of novelty records about yeah. then. Yeah. I think one of my first records, if not the first one, was the novelty song from Swap Shop, I Just Want to Be a Winner by Brown oh, Souls. Oh, yeah. You know, I just want things that I'd seen on children's TV programmes. I think by default my first record was Video Killed the Radio Star, but right. it's, it's an accident, and it's because you can see how a kid would latch onto that. There's nothing cool about but the way I Buggles latched onto it. Buggles is a great song. That's a great song. It is a great song. <laughs> the, I mean, I remember um, I heard it the other day for the first time and it was nowhere near as good as I remember. Um, uh, Love Bug Starsky and the theme tune to Amityville 3. Yes, yes. I was going to a party yeah. at Amityville. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm into rap music, yeah, yeah. man. It's, it's, that, and I heard that recently and that doesn't stand the test of time. You, you're a big fan of the Beach Boys. Yes. Uh, as a teenager, did you enjoy them rapping with the Fat Boys on oh. Wipeout? <laughs> Oh, thank you, Jeff. What a lovely memory to put back. I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah, I've seen the Beach Boys a few times. I don't know if they. I don't think they do it now, but I remember seeing them in the eighties and the nineties. And there would always be a moment when Mike Love would put on a baseball cap backwards, put on a big gold chain, and start doing the you know that horrible kind of white man impersonating yeah, yeah, a black yeah, man yeah. rap thing, doing the wipe it out. It, uh, yes, I did enjoy that. Actually, was, was Brian Wilson involved at that stage? No, no. Right. he was. He's in. I think he's in the Wipeout video. Yes, I think he is. Actually, mm. yeah. Um, Brian would come back for weird things like the, when um, the Beach Boys did the backing vocals for Status Quo's cover of Fum Fum Fum. <laughs> Brian Wilson's there. <laughs> yes, that- and you're thinking, I've never seen Brian. This is when he was still a recluse. I've never seen Brian Wilson live. He's doing backing vocals for Blooming Status Quo. But was part of that that uh, when Kokomo was a hit, he wasn't in the man that ate away at him. So anything that smelled of commercial yeah, success. Yeah, he thought I'd have some of that. Yeah. I love Kokomo. I remember buying Kokomo from a news agent in uh, Slough Bus Station. They had like a carousel of records and I bought Kokomo for 99p. That's a great song. Kokomo is better than Pet Sounds. Kokomo isn't better than Pet Sounds, but it has grown on me over the years. <laughs> like, I do enjoy it if I ever hear it on the I, radio I think station. it's a great song. You should get listen to the Spanish version. It's beautiful. Um, but the Beach Boys are big. The Monkeys were the one. I remember, I remember I wanted to buy the Monkeys' double greatest hits when I was thinking, I think I might really get into these guys. And I didn't have enough money, but there was a... They just installed a fountain outside the Queensmere in Slough High Street. People used to chuck money in it and make wishes and stuff. And so one freezing cold November, and it was when it was really icy cold, I was a couple of quid short. So I just put my hand in. You stole people's wishes. Yes, I did. What, I stole somebody, wishes. Oh God! Somebody was wishing. Oh. I just just hope my dad sees another Christmas. And then dad and they dies didn't because you took the wishes out of the fountain. It was selfish of me. I'm, I admit. <laughs> I'm sorry if anyone's dad passed away. But I had to have that. Al- I had to have that album at the expense of you know people's. <laughs> I did. I got got a couple of quid eventually, and I went and bought an album with it. Where um where where do we go in 1986? If uh, it's a weekday night, you're with your friend. I mean, what are you doing on a weekday night? Well, um, we would just walk around the estate looking at the windows of girls that we like. On a weekday at that age, very little because at that point I'd moved a little bit out of Slough to Farnham Common, which was so I was still going to school in Slough. All of my friends lived in Slough, um, but I lived just you know that thing when it's like two or three miles is suddenly you might as well have moved to to Scotland, you know. And and, um, so I was constantly riding my bike into Slough to, to, there was never people coming to me. It was always me going to them. So on weeknights, I just stayed in and watched. You went out at 13 on a week, on a just school walking night. walking around the streets, looking at the houses where, just in wow. case a girl was to look out of the window at us. Did you used to, I used to have yeah, that yeah, same yeah. same thing. I, I remember getting the bus home from school and there's this girl that I was madly in love with. Of course, I never spoke to her. And I was just thinking, God, I wish one day she would just turn around and say, hey, look, I see you on the same bus as me. Maybe we should go out. 
with each other as boyfriend and girlfriend. And she never did. And, and this will sound stalky, but I knew where she lived. I saw which house she went into. And yet I would walk past her house and think, God, if she just <laughs> she just looked out now, she'd see what she's missing. You'd never do the chess game of how that would play out, though, did no, you? No, 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 no. Of course not. It's, that's, it's, you're only thinking one move ahead. Yeah. She would totally fall in love with me, and she never did. I spent a lot of my teenage years... Not in a creepy, you know, way, but fantasizing about girls recognizing how cool and talented I was, and they would then ask me out, and then we'd have a mad, not even sexual, you know, we just have a mad love affair, and it would be, we'd be in love. Who was the first girl to take your tiny heart and smash it into a thousand pieces? Oh, it was Kerry. It was Kerry. I was obsessed with Kerry ever since I went to grammar school. This is William Herschel Grammar School. He did just... say ever since I went to Pizza Land. <laughs> No, it was before that because I went right. to Pizza Land with her at 15. But when I went to grammar school at 11 or 12 and I saw her on day one, it was like, whoa, straight away I was in love with her. And um, nothing happened because she was like going out with older guys. And nothing happened until I was 15. But I was just just obsessed with her. And then we went out on this one date where I kissed her at the bus station. And after that, she said, ah, I'm going to get back with my boyfriend. So I was I was heartbroken. I was devastated. Did you think it was the kissing? I, of course you did. You t- of course you take it. Personally, you think, geez, what did I do? Do you think you're a good kisser? Now I'm one of the best. Really? I'm one of, I'm a really, really good kisser. I think, if anything, I've deteriorated Re- with age. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I don't want to go into, I don't want to give away too many secrets. <laughs> about your technique? Yeah. I've got, you don't want people stealing your move. No, not at all. Let's just, let's just say I'm not afraid to lick teeth. <laughs> Seriously, I think women like having their teeth licked while okay, you're... Well, that, that might save my marriage. <laughs> go, honestly, well, I'll be doing this evening. Go home tonight. Yeah, lick, lick her teeth while you're kissing. Don't yeah, just yeah. you know. I uh, don't sort of say, uh, get, "May I lick your teeth?" Could you open your mouth and put your teeth together like that? Yeah. Now you got to kiss, but then the, the tongue is is licking the teeth, and then just send me a little text tonight <laughs> with a thumbs up emoji. Yeah. Okay, and I'll know that uh, that uh, I will feel good. Pass that on. But th- there you are, on the steps of Slough Bus Station. Yeah. She said, I think I'm going to get back with my boyfriend. The next day she did, and she went, She got back with her boyfriend. And, and, and But I was still, I was totally in love with her. And it took another 18 months before we became boyfriend and girlfriend properly. And, and that whole time, I hadn't gone out with anyone else. I felt very uncomfortable around girls. Um, There's perhaps a bad message there for people. Just just wait it out. Yeah. If somebody tells you they're not interested, yeah. just just wait it, it out. Yeah. Well, it worked because then we went to a party at her house when I was 17. Got very, very drunk. And she said to me, how do you think it's going, us just being friends? And I went, it's all right. And she went, oh, because I don't think it's all right. I said, oh, okay. And then we then we kissed. And I remember I'd, I'd eaten, just eaten a load of Monster Munch. And it was the Flavor. most... Uh, uh, pickled onion mm-hmm. and it was the most monster munch flavoured snog I've <laughs> ever been involved in I remember walking home from that and this because I would walk everywhere maybe I was 16 or 17 walk everywhere and it took me like three hours to walk home and just think oh god I, I, I tasted a pickled onion she's never but then we went out with each other for a, quite a long time you know and it was it was, and it played out just how you wanted it to because she yeah, came at you, you know, yeah, she was yeah, my yeah. first love and in the interim did you did you write a sort of terrible poetry did you write oh mate songs? I wrote so many songs and I recently found a lot of the songs that I wrote between the age of 15 and 22 any titles you could share um it took so long to get here do you remember um <laughs> You're my secret friend. You know, it's those kind of things. And I found them. I've been reading them out. Were you a solo artist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, I was a singer-songwriter. I was right. very much in the James Taylor 
kind of mould. And did you have a nom de plume? No, it was no, it was just me. Yep. I'd obviously never performed any of mm-hmm. these things, and and I found some of these lyrics recently because I just moved house and I found the file. And uh, <laughs> file. I, this is a big <laughs> ring binder full of them. And I, do you know what? I think I think uh, I think they're bloody awful. But <laughs> but well, here's the thing. I read them. You know, my friend Catherine, who I do the radio show with, and I was reading these as part of the show. And she was laughing, going, "Well, that's rubbish." So then I read another song and she went, oh, actually, that's the worst. I went, right, well, that one I've just read is Bob Dylan from Blood on the Track. <laughs> so you don't know anything about songs. So I think I'm as good as Bob Dylan, Blood on the Track's era. <laughs> Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. When did you start listening to the radio? With, uh, with you, Did you become obsessed by it as a teenager? I used to, from about 15, would listen to I don't really remember what I listened to but I would fall asleep with the radio on and it was speech radio I didn't really like music radio I've never really got even when I've done it as a living I've never really got music radio because I know what music I want to listen to so I'll put a record on so I would listen to speech radio I used to listen to I remember listening to Clive Bull a lot who I still think is he's now a friend and I think he's one of the best broadcasters in this country I think he's great Um, I remember listening to Tommy Boyd he did a show on uh, the BBC Brighton or whatever it was called then I remember sh- what we did find we used to listen to, to shortwave radio a lot because you have a shortwave oh, thing yeah, yeah. I remember finding we, me and my friends got obsessed with this Christian radio channel in what what they would call they, they would say write to us at Niagara Falls which of course Niagara Falls um, I remember we all used to listen to this we weren't Christians no. but we'd all listen to this Christian really that, that idea of finding it as well. Yeah, yeah. and I remember yeah. going into school the next day and so I found this amazing radio station. It's hilarious. And we'd all listen to it and we all wrote them letters and they, they, we got lovely letters back from the, you know, these delightful Christians that we were laughing at, but they were wonderful. And they, they wrote back to us and they sent us little cross badges that we would wear and it was very strange. I just I just remembered that now. A strange thing to get into. And what about the shows you were listening to like Tommy Boyd or yeah. Clive Ball? Would you write into them or call into them? Uh no, I I wouldn't. I tell you, the first show I called into was Danny Baker. Do you remember when when it was GLR and G and I? I don't even. I'm fifteen, maybe about nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine. And and GLR was just amazing. You'd have Danny Baker and Chris Morris and Chris Evans all on over a weekend. Just this, and 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 you know when I would I would suggest that the Evans and Baker were at their their peak of creativity. You know, uh, and it was just a joy. And I remember. Actually, Danny Baker was the first show I got obsessed with, where I just c- couldn't believe that there was something this funny and this stupid and this didn't give a stuff about anything. You know, it was just irreverent, I guess is the word. I remember being very confused by what, what was Danny Baker saying that was real and what wasn't real. Of course, nearly all of it wasn't real, but I remember him saying that um, at two o'clock every Saturday the hat on Nelson, on Nelson's column, would shift 45 degrees. I remember thinking, whoa, that's great. And I'll go and tell my friends that at school the next day. And we totally bought into it. But he was the first person I phoned up. He was giving away a David Essex Greatest Hits. And I've got a tape of this somewhere. I don't know where it is. Maybe I've not, actually. I lost a lot of the tapes. But it's me phoning up. And Danny Baker goes, all right, we've got, um, we got Ian on the line. All right, Ian. I went, um... 
yeah, hang on a minute, Dan, my mum wants to talk to you. And then giving the phone to my mum, and that was my first... You bottled it. Yeah, I bottled it, and my mum went on and flirted with Danny Baker, and it was it was hilarious. And then did you ever do anything like Hospital Radio Slough or anything like that? I never did anything like that. I never wanted to work in radio. Never wanted to. It was. I always wanted to be on, on TV. I wanted to be an actor. That was the thing that I really, really wanted to do, and it was set on. And um, my school had a really good... It was famous. The grammar school was famous for its big productions and its drama. And then just as I got to do my GCSEs, I'd signed up for drama to do my GCSEs. And the first day of term in whatever year, I remember what year you do GCSEs, third year, fourth year? Yeah. The first day of term, they said, um, right, um, Rugvi, um, we've dropped drama. So you've got to pick another subject. You've got to pick it now. And so they dropped it and I was devastated. And then they stopped doing the big school productions that they were famous for. And and, and that is when I t- really turned against school because I thought, oh, screw you. You know, the one thing that I was good at and I enjoyed was doing drama and they stopped it. And of course I took it as a personal slight. And, it, it, uh, and I, I kind of... Because they did reintroduce it the year you left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, I kind of stopped working then. I can, I can see that quite clearly now. I stopped working because that was the thing I wanted to do. And they always, and I, you'd go and have the meeting with the careers advisor or the head of year and they say, what do you want to do? I want to be an actor. Okay, but what do you what do you really want to do that you think you'll stand a chance of doing? And they battered it out of me. Yeah. You know, the, the, they said, you'll never be an actor. Why don't you become a teacher and then you can teach drama? So I was all set And beat for it that. out of other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and it wasn't until I failed my A-levels the first time and I went to Windsor College and I, and I, the careers advice said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I mean, really, I'd like to be an actor. They went, okay, right, well, let's find some colleges, some unis and polys where you could go and do drama studies or performance, performing arts. Or, And I was like, well, hang on, sorry, you're telling me that... They said, yeah, yeah, there's loads of courses we can probably get you on. And that just blew my mind that for years I've been told, oh, no, you can't do that. You never. There's no way you could go and do that. And then suddenly there's this guy going, yeah, yeah, I think we can probably find you something. All you had to do was get out of Slough. All I had to do was get out of Slough and get into Windsor. If you could go back inside any of the places we've talked about today yeah. and experience them as they were then, time travel. You've already done the house, I yeah, guess, so yeah. it's not going to be that Done the one. house. Um, what, where would it be? Um, I would go back... I would go back to being nine years old and sat under the slide with Sonia Martin and I would I would kiss her. I would, as they sing, I think, in The Little Mermaid, kiss her. I would kiss her. You know, so much of my... Uh, childhood and teen years are held back. The number of I've met so many people, not so many, but a, f- a handful of people from from like my teens and even my twenties, like girls that I really really liked, and they've said, "Oh God, when we were at school, I really fancied you." I'm thinking, "Oh no, why? Why did I not see that? Why did I not?" And I really fancied them, but I didn't have the guts to say, "Do you fancy going out?" Didn't couldn't do it. I was paralysed by fear, and I still get very nervous around. Um, sex and around relationships and around intimacy. I get very nervous around it. And um, yeah, I'd go back to nine and, and give her a kiss because she was lovely, Sonia. And if you are a young person who's accidentally tuned into this, oh gosh, and and you you're thinking, shall I shall I say something? Shall I declare yeah. my feelings? Don't no. do it. I mean, that that happened to Ian. People were saying to him that they fancied you as a teenager, but that's the exception rather than the rule. Mackenzie, Bottle it up, keep it quiet, <laughs> push yeah. it down. Yeah. Mackenzie Crook, who I lived with for a long time, for a few years, um, and who's a genius, he had this theory that when you die, before they let you into heaven, you have to sit and watch a video of all the times you could have had a snog with a girl, but you didn't because 
because you, you, you were drunk or you didn't ask her or you bottled it or you left the party early. And that is kind of, that's your, your punishment is you just watch this, this three hour long tape of all the, the snogs you could potentially have had. I think I would be fine. I think I'd be in there in seconds. <laughs> uh, Ian, thank you for, for painting us such a vivid Hey. Picture of Slough. Thank you. John Betjeman was wrong. Do you know what John Betjeman was wrong? It's really easy to knock Slough, and I knocked it for a long, long time. But having moved, lived there for a couple of years as my marriage fell apart, um, I've kind of made peace with it. I think Slough's got some really good things going for it. Um, there's a. Th- can I just say there was there was my favourite program. Um, this was on about. Uh, 12 years ago. Do you ever see it? Make Slough laugh or make Slough happy. And it was, it was flipping brilliant. There were, there was like a psychologist, a laughter therapist, all these people were sent into Slough to make it happy. And it involved basically going around doing performance art pieces, hugging each other and planting flowers everywhere. And, um, Slough has got this image partly because of the office, I suppose, but partly because of Betchman of being a, a dump and being miserable. There are bits of it that are dump. There's bits of everywhere that's a dump. But um, I got a lot of time for Slough. There is, you know, there are some cool places there, um, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm there quite a lot these days. So yeah, I believe the phrase is "big up yourself, Slough." I think you're a statue. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Wouldn't that be? They've got one of Herschel because he discovered Uranus. Okay, um, the school magazine was called Uranus. After my unintentional pun before, I'm refusing to engage with this. Come on. I, I will, Uranus will sounds engage. like posh for bum, <laughs> in case anyone doesn't get the joke. Ian, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Nice to see you, man. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. And that's that. A lovely stroll down memory lane with Ian Lee. Next week, I'll be chatting to comedian, podcaster and all-round brilliant person, Susie Ruffle. And if you haven't yet, make sure you twiddle your radio dial to Union Jack Radio and enjoy the best British music and comedy all in one place. And uh, that's that. Speak soon.